The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble He hid me in His pavilion. In the secret place of His tabernacle He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Amen. thank you for gathering us together today as your people, the church. Not the building, but the individuals, the families, the moms and dads, husbands and wives and children. Lord, we thank you and praise you that we may be together today to sing of the marvelous grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and of your greatness and the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Lord, we thank you and praise you. We desire in our hearts to lift up your name and we pray, Lord, that you would be pleased to pour out your spirit upon us today as we meet as your people. Be among us. And Lord, we pray that you would minister the gospel to our souls as we lift up your name. We pray, Lord, that the gospel would be a balm to our hearts, to our weariness. And Lord, we join our hearts together now as your people with one voice and pray out loud the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to be reciting together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the green hymnal, if you'd like to turn there. Since this is a confession of faith, I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third 
day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk, as you have us as a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. Amen. Let's continue to worship. Please turn in your hymnal to number 2, and we're going to sing together, O Worship the King. time for the children's sermon. Good morning, boys and girls. Good morning. It's good to see you all. I wanted to share with you this morning and and talk with you for just a few moments about a verse in the book of Ecclesiastes. Does anybody know where Ecclesiastes is? Is it in the Old Testament or the New Testament? Ecclesiastes. Anybody? Danny? Old Testament. Old Testament. That's right. It's in the Old Testament. 
And one of the verses in chapter 12 says, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. So is anybody here in the days of their youth today? (laughs) Maybe some of us don't feel like it. But what do you think it means to remember your Creator? Who are you remembering? God. Remembering God, your Creator in the days of your youth. And what did He create? Everything. Everything. Why do you suppose it says, remember your Creator in the days of your youth? What about the days of your adulthood or the days when you're older? Why does it say in your youth? Why do you suppose that is? Do your parents ever have to remind you of anything? Or once they say it one time, it's locked in, right? Oh, I've got some big eyes. <laughs> because, I think because it's easy for us when our bodies are strong and healthy, when everything works the way that it's supposed to, it's easy to believe that I have this health and this strength and these good looks on my own. That I'm the one who did them. And so I believe the Bible reminds us, specifically young people, remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Because there will be a time in life when you need to lean upon what the Lord has taught your hearts. The promises that He's put in your hearts through His Word, by His Spirit. And maybe because when we're a little bit older, for those of us who are older in here this morning, we are reminded of our Creator every day. We're reminded that every day we're a little bit closer to being in glory. Our bodies, when we get older, you don't know this yet, but when you get older, your body starts to not work the way that it's supposed to, or the way that it used to. And so you try to pick something up, and you realize you're not going to be able to get back up without some help. (laughs) It's just, it's part of the frailty of being human. We are not perfect, we're not gods, we we don't have everlasting strength. So the Bible says, remember your Creator in the days of your youth. So I'm going to pray for you this morning, children, that the Lord would cause you to remember Him. To remember that He's the one who made you, He's the one who hears your prayers. And He's the one that sent the Lord Jesus Christ that you might be His. And He gave you His promises through Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank You and praise You for Your Word that You give to us. I thank You for our covenant children, the blessing they are to our church family here at Lebanon, and the blessing they are in our homes and in our families. Lord, I do pray for them that You would cause their hearts to remember You now. That they would be hiding in their hearts truth from your word. That you are the creator God, that there is no other. That we don't believe in some evolutionary process that just happened upon the world and now we're all here. We do believe that you, according to your infinite power, created this world and everything in it. Lord, I pray that you would help them to remember that you created them and that you sent Jesus to be their savior. And Lord, I pray for their hearts that as they read and learn as as their minds are stretched and challenged, that they wouldn't try to grow out of the promises that you have given. And Lord, I pray when they see around them church family or other family and their bodies are not working, and they see people who have sicknesses and diseases, and they wonder who's in charge of all this, that they would remember their Creator, that nothing passes into our lives without coming through your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, we're going to be reading Psalm 115. It's on page 827 in the Green Hymnal. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Page 827, Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Why do the nations say, Where is their God? But their idols are silver and gold, made by the hands of men. They have ears. But cannot hear, noses, but they cannot smell. Feet, they cannot walk, nor any other sound. 
those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear Him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord make you increase, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth He has given to man. It is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Let's stand together as we continue to worship and turn to number 693 as we sing Blessed Assurance. typically do, uh, we pray for our missionaries, and this morning, as Mike has already mentioned, we have the privilege of having Sam and, and Lizzie Goodwin with us today, and so they're not simply names on a page or pictures in a frame, they are people, and we want to pray for them that the Lord would bless their ministry, that He would bless their family, and continue to bless them in a time of transition, a transition back into the United States, even though they've been here for a while now. It is still a transition. And so, uh, as Mike reminded us to pray for them, we want to do that now. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for the, the blessing and the privilege that it is that we may call upon You, that we may raise up our voices and offer to You our petitions and our prayers. 
the cares of our hearts that weigh us down, things that we do carry with us from day to day, things that wake us up and things that we take to bed with us at night. Lord, we thank you and praise you that you are the God of the day and of the night, that there is no time in our existence in this world that you are not sovereign over. And Lord, what a privilege and a joy it is to have Sam and Lizzie with us today. And Lord, I pray for special blessings and grace upon them and upon their household, that you would bless their girls as they continue in school, as they grow and learn what it means to be back in the United States for two of their children and in the United States right now for their youngest. And Lord, I pray that you would bless them spiritually, that you would help them in their walk in faith with you, that those three precious girls would know what it means that Jesus loves them and that he is sovereign over everything, even where they are living now. And Lord, I pray for Sam and Lizzie that you would bless their marriage and bless their ministry, bless their participation in church fellowship and meaningful membership. Lord, I pray that you would cause their hearts to overflow with joy. And on days when it is dark and dreary, when it is hard to find something to be encouraged about, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them in a still small voice through your promises and the glories and wonders of your word. Lord, I pray that you would help them to recall in their minds ways that you have been faithful, ways upon ways that you have provided for them. And Lord, I pray that you would put a song in their hearts, that they would be able to sing even if through tears, even if through sorrows and grief. Lord, I pray that it would be because of your spirit upon them that they can say in the midst of difficulty, great is thy faithfulness. And Lord, I pray also for our church family here. There are many among us who are struggling because of sickness or illness or long-term significant health needs, things that some of us are not seeing deliverance from. And we pray, Lord, this morning as a church family, joining our hearts together in love to lift them up to the throne of grace. You know who they are, Lord. You know the specific situations and the trials and tribulations that they are. And we call upon you, Lord, as the God who heals and the God who cares and who is ever present with his people, that you would pour out your spirit. Have mercy, Lord. Be gracious. Give healing. Give comfort in their hearts, in their homes. There are people who would love to be here at church today, but they just simply can't. And we pray, Lord, that you would even at this time comfort them as they care for others in their family, as they they do the work that you called them to do, and they do it on days when they maybe don't feel like it, Lord, I pray that you would encourage their hearts, encourage them to know that we pray for them and that we are standing with them now, even in, in this hour of worship. And Lord, we pray that you would pour out your Spirit upon us today as we hear your Word preached and read in a few moments. Lord, we pray that you would open our minds and our hearts That we would hear the gospel and believe it. That it wouldn't just be something that we can file away and say, well, I've heard that before. May it be living and breathing in our hearts because of your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.
you to Callie and to our choir. What a wonderful blessing to hear the majesty and the glory of the name of the Lord Jesus this morning. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the New Testament book of Titus, chapter 1. Titus is one of Paul's pastoral epistles, uh, writing to a young protege of his, someone that he led to the Lord likely. Titus chapter 1, this morning we're going to be reading verses 5 through 9. This is the word of the Lord. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Today we're continuing our series, Ordinary Christian Living, in the book of Titus, and the sermon is entitled, The Reason for Elders. As an apostle of Jesus Christ, Paul had visited Crete, and he proclaimed the gospel of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ in each city that he visited on the island. And this was Paul's pattern. He would visit somewhere, he would go and preach the gospel, and he would lay the foundation for churches to be established. And he left Titus behind in Crete for a reason, with a purpose. God had moved in Crete by the effectual call of the gospel through the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, it says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And one of the things that we should see and take note of as we study the book of Titus is that you don't see in this book or any other book a sense by Paul that unless he's there, the ministry drops or fails. He's clear in his mind, even as he told us in the first verses of this book, he's clear, I'm a servant of the living God, but it is God's glory alone that shines in the churches, not my name, but his. And so if you landed in Crete and you saw this, the overwhelming ungodly culture and the effect of false teachers on believers, that there was confusion and discord, what would your first action be? What would your first thought be? Well, I believe being good Presbyterians, you would say, looking at the ungodly culture and how it was creeping into the church, And looking at the the discord and confusion among people who were believers, I believe you would say, where are the elders? What are they doing? Are they guiding the church? Are they caring for God's people? Are they instructing the people in the word of God? And this is exactly what Paul tells Titus in verse 5. I left you to visit the churches, to set in order what remains, and to appoint elders. So this morning I want to look at these verses, and we're just going to do two headings this morning. And why do elders exist? What is the reason for elders? Was this something that Paul was doing somewhat as a, as a one-off in Crete? Or is this Jesus' design for His church? The Scriptures are clear. This is Jesus' design for His church. That they would have elders, men set aside for the sake of the ministry, who would love and shepherd God's people. They are to be giving themselves for the discipleship of God's people. Point number one. The reason for elders is for discipleship. And number two, for an example. So number one, elders exist for discipleship. It was Paul's apostolic intent in verse 5. He's saying, as an apostle, as one who has authority from the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, He gave me this ministry to preach the gospel. As an apostle, Titus, I'm leaving you here. I'm investing you with authority that you would serve the churches, that you would appoint elders that you would come alongside them and help identify those who are spiritually growing men. Men who may lead in the church, who have particular qualities. 
And it's specific in these verses in Titus 1, verses 5 through 9. He's very clear about what he believes are the character qualities. But you have to keep in mind, too, you've got to know that Paul is speaking to some of the issues of their day. Some of the issues in their culture. It's why he's speaking so specifically about some things. This is not an exhaustive list. This is a list that covers the basis of what he believes rounds out the true moral character and integrity of a man who will be called to the office of ruling elder or teaching elder. So he says in Titus chapter 1 verse 1, we read this a few weeks ago now. He says, I'm a bondservant, I'm an apostle. And he says the reason that God set me aside as his servant, the reason Jesus called me as an apostle is according to or for the sake of the faith of God's elect. Their acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life. This is why I'm serving. And this is why I'm leaving you here, Titus. It's for the sake of the faith of God's people. That they would grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that in their lives they would demonstrate and model the godliness that I believe Paul is saying should be present in every believer's life. This is the goal, not of ministry. This is the goal of Christian living. It's how you're supposed to live. It's Paul's desire that everyone in the churches in Crete would live according to godliness. That they would grow in knowledge. That their faith would be strong and and able to hold up. Because it is based in and is a gift from the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. But also, elders are for discipleship because it was Jesus' design for the church. Remember His words in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. When he gave his great commission to the disciples, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. You notice he said, Make disciples. And then he puts right beside it, Make disciples, baptizing them. As Presbyterians, we believe that baptism is one of the sacraments that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to His church. It's not an individual blessing that you or I could take upon ourselves. It is done decently and in order in the church. Alongside the covenant promises of God to His people and to families. We believe that we baptize babies of believing children. Or those who are adults who have never made profession of faith, we baptize them. But it's annexed to relationship in the church. It was Jesus' design for the church that His people would be disciples, that they would be followers of His, knowing His Word, walking in His ways, and living lives distinct from the culture wherever He's placed them. Not that they would be outside of the culture, but they wouldn't have taken into themselves the lifestyle and the habits and the values of the culture. Rather, they would live the kingdom ethics that we see in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5-7. through So, elders exist for discipleship. But number two, and we'll spend most of our time on this this morning, elders exist for an example. In verse 6 and verse 7, there's a word that I want to spend just a few moments of time on. It's repeated, and it's worth looking at. It says that they are to be blameless. Elders are to be blameless. It's also translated that they're to be above reproach. And a few things about what this word can't mean. When it says blameless. It cannot mean sinless or morally perfect. Paul would contradict himself if he meant that they're perfect and not sinless. Because he says in Romans chapter 3 verse 23 that all fall short of the glory of God. And certainly he means to include those who would be candidates to be elders in the Lord's church. It also can't mean that in the sight of all people they are just a wonderful person. It can't mean that. Because it would go against Jesus' teaching that His followers followers will be disliked or mistreated by at least some of the people some of the time. And Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12 that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. And to be persecuted implies at least the accusation of wrongdoing. So what does Paul mean when he says that an elder or one who would aspire to be an elder... One that you might look at and say, this person should be a spiritual leader in the church. This person should be someone who is an under-shepherd of the Lord Jesus Himself, serving under His headship in the church. What does it mean 
Why is he using this word? I think it means two things. I believe it means two things. First, I believe it means that they're in Christ. It might seem like a given, but maybe just to slow down a little bit and state the obvious. If someone is to be an elder in the Lord Jesus' church, they must belong to Jesus first. They have to be in Christ. If you have your Bibles open still, flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul wrote two letters to this church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to be reading verses 8 and 9. This is Paul writing. He says, I I give thanks for you for the grace of God in you. Then in in verse 8, who will also confirm you to the end, speaking of Jesus, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He used that word again, that you would be blameless in the day of Jesus Christ. Now Paul is not saying, I believe that you are being made perfect right now. He's not saying, I believe you are perfect now. Because the two letters that he wrote in the New Testament to this church proved that there were issues. Not only did they have moral and serious issues going on in their personal lives, they also were messed up and mixed up and backwards in their church life. So he's not saying they're theologically exact either. What he is saying, though, is that they have received the gospel message. It is transforming their lives. They are in Christ and in God's sight. They are blameless because of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are in Christ. It's a, it's a living relationship because of the work of Jesus. They belong to Him. They are grasping the truth of the Gospel. It's working in their lives. Paul is saying that to the Corinthians, and I believe that's what he means when he says this to Titus about who an elder should be. First, they must belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. He must be moving in their life. If you still have your Bible, go over to Colossians chapter 1. I'm just going to read a couple verses there about what this word blameless means. Colossians chapter 1. This is Paul speaking to the church at Colossae. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. He is saying that in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are now blameless. So if a man believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, if he is walking with Jesus, that is qualification number one, to be an elder in the church. Not someone who's influential, not someone who's well thought of necessarily, not someone who has business acumen or a lot of wealth or influence in society. Someone who belongs to the Lord Jesus and who is walking with Him by faith. There's visible evidence to the people of God that He walks with Jesus. He spends time in Jesus' Word. He offers prayers for the people of God. He's concerned about them. But also I believe He does mean in this word blameless that the other translation, that they're above reproach, that they have a lifestyle and a reputation that's known among the people that they live among, that there's no grounds for accusation of impropriety. In their private life, in their public or civic life, that there's nothing going on. There's not a skeleton in the closet that's been very carefully hidden away from God's people. They're above reproach. And then Paul gives two ways to measure that blamelessness. Two very specific ways, very personal ways. He says that they are to be a steward of their own household before they can be a steward of the household of God. So today we're going to to spend the rest of our time speaking about these two things. A steward of the household that God has given them. That they're engaged in their home. That they lead in their home. That they manage their own house well. This is a measure of the quality of their character. What is their relationship like with their wives? What is their relationship like with their children? These are things that are specific because in this culture, 
These things were not highly esteemed. These were not things that you could look at and say these are good qualities. In a real way, it was lacking in many ways. And so he says there to be a husband of one wife. He's not mandating here that if you're looking in Crete, Titus, be sure that you find the men who are believing who are married. He's not mandating marriage. He's not de facto saying that an elder can't be someone who was ever divorced. That's not the issue that he's speaking to here. And he's actually not speaking against polygamy either. He's speaking specifically about someone being a one woman kind of man in his heart and in his in his integrity. It's asking the the question, what is the quality of their character when it comes to marital loyalty? Included in this is their idea of sexual purity as well. And for most, if not all males, we could say this about all people, not just on the island of Crete. For most, if not all males, this is the litmus test of their character in every other domain of their lives, at least as far as God is concerned, because he sees the heart. The question that's being asked here and what Paul is speaking to, is he faithful to his wife? And this doesn't only mean that he's sexually faithful, but is he there for her emotionally, physically? Is he in the home? Is he invested in her life? Is he invested in her emotionally? Or is he distant? Is he providing for his family and taking care of them? Does he see the needs in his own household? If not, how will he see the needs in the church of the living God? And secondly, he says, not only are they to be the husband of one wife, but also what is their relationship to their children? Again, he's not requiring, Paul is not saying, Titus, they have to have children. But he is saying, it's a measure of their Christian character if they do. What do you see? What do you understand is their relationship with their children. And likely what he means is their dependent children. He's not necessarily annexing this to adult children who live outside of the home. He's saying, what do you see as the relationship between the candidate or the man and the children who live in his home? In Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, we're, we're told that, that those who are leaders, those who are fathers, aren't to deal harshly with their children. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Jesus warned even of the dire consequences for causing children to stumble at the gospel, to stumble at the living God by the way that we treat them, by the way that we parent them, by the way that we discipline them. And from the onset of the New Testament preaching of the gospel, adults and children are in view. Even Jesus had to instruct the disciples, don't forbid the little ones to come to me because of such is the kingdom of heaven. When Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, he said, this promise is for you and for your children. It's a promise. The children are part of the promises that God has given to his people. We believe this is a continuation from the Old Testament to the New Testament of God's covenant faithfulness to his people. Children are in mind. In the gospel and how a man or a woman treats the children tells you a lot about how they are doing in their own Christian walk. Fit candidates for being elders in the Lord's church will reflect the gospel of grace in the kind of ties that they have with their children that result in the children's embracing their parents relationship with God, not rejecting it outright. Are we adorning the gospel in our own homes? Maybe is a a question to ask. And Paul's words also cover not just how the, the father, this elder candidate, would treat the children, but it also covers the behavior and the reputation of the children as well. Notice what he says here. He uses the words in in verse six, children not accused of dissipation or insubordination. Likely these ideas of of rebellion and insubordination. Not that they're always in line. Not that they always have their P's and Q's always correct. They always say yes ma'am or no sir. Not leaving any room for any youthful antics that I'm sure many people even in this room participated in. And were still considered good Christian children. But likely what he's saying is that the implication here is that their children of this man who might be a candidate to be an elder in the church, 
That their disobedience in the home hasn't reached a level of flagrant disregard for the father's authority. And why would that be significant? It's significant because if the children haven't learned because of faithful teaching and parenting in the home, and the husband leading and loving and instructing the children, then there's a possibility that those children not only disregard the leadership of their father, but they disregard the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ over their life. It is not just simply a matter of respect, even though it is one. It is also a matter of covenant disobedience. Because if I can lay aside what Dad says, then I can lay aside what God says. If that's His order for authority in the home, then why can't I question God too? So it's a matter of obedience and respect, but it's also a, a way of showing what's happening in the home. And I want to pause here. And I think that's enough from from these verses this morning. But I want to ask two things, and I I mean them sincerely. We have ordained elders in in this church. And men, as we... I'm speaking to you elders. As we read this passage of Scripture, as it's read out loud, it would be easy to say, whew, I'm not perfect. And this is a tall list, and I'm not living up to it. And I think every man in the room could say that. The way that your children behave, or the way they see you as the authority in the home, the way they, they treat the truths of God's Word. It's sobering, though, to read these words out loud. To hear Jesus' requirement for leadership in the church. And it's not something that you should slump over and say, well, I'm, I'm just a heel or a schleprock, and it's, it's just awful. I have so many things. I shouldn't be an elder. No. You should be seeing this and saying, lest the Lord build the house, those who labor, labor in vain. I should be walking with Him the way that I love my wife, the way that I treat my children, the way that I do that in a way that honors the Lord is by doing it by His strength. Because you have to be able to admit, I can't make my children believe. I can't love my wife unless the Lord gives me the grace to do it. I'm just too selfish. I too much want what I want. It's so much easier for me to be comfortable than to deal with my responsibilities. And isn't don't we see that in living color in our culture today? Rather than engage, men see a mountain they cannot climb. And rather than get up, they just sit down. And that's why even in churches you see women in many ways being the backbone. Because the men have given up. And so I want to encourage you men, you fathers... Be present in your home. I don't mean physically that you're there when it's time to lock the door at my... Though certainly I do mean that. Be present in your home. Engage with your wife and with your children in a loving and a godly way. And you're going to mess up and anybody can raise their hand and say, we mess up every day, time without number. And this leads me to my second question for you. Would you commit or perhaps recommit to pray for your elders? We need it. And you might say, well, well, how? Just, just mention your names out loud when I'm praying? Yes, I do mean that. But I also mean that you would pray something specifically for us as well. In 1 Peter chapter 5, and I'll just, this is a brief example. If you are hitting a brick wall and don't know what to pray for your elders, listen to these words that Peter said. 1 Peter chapter 5. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. And here he's about to give his instruction on how they're to elder. This is how you can pray for your elders. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Don't set aside your responsibility. Pray for your elders that we wouldn't shirk our duty to shepherd God's people, to love you. Then he says, serving as overseers, serving, serving. The way that you lead is by serving, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you. Do you remember men who entrusted the church of the Lord Jesus to you? To those in our shepherding groups. To those families that we call, people we answer texts from, those that we sit in their homes and weep and cry and pray and celebrate joys and excitement. It is God's people. Not as being lords over them, 
over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. If you don't know what to pray for your elders, pray that we do not lose a heavenly vision of the reason why God called us into this ministry. Know that we are not adequate for it. And many days we feel like we need more tools than we have to do the work that God has given us. Pray that we would do the work of the ministry. That you would be served well in God's spirit with the word of God, being reminded of his promises. And that in those moments when you need to hear the truth, that we would have the strength and the grace to do so in a comforting way, and a loving way, that exalts the Lord Jesus and the beauty of His church. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the privilege of being here today to be able to read Your Word and to speak about it. Lord, I pray that You would be with our elders. We need grace and strength and mercy. We need help so that we might be a help to the people that You have entrusted with us. Lord, I thank You for our church family, for the blessing that it is to us. And I pray, Lord, that we would be men who are found faithful to do all the work that You have given us to do. And Lord, may we have joy and delight in it, knowing that one day the chief shepherd will appear and we will receive a crown that we will lay at His feet. Lord, we thank You and praise You for the promise that You made that You are coming back and You will receive us to Yourself. And we look for and hasten that glorious day Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together responding to God's Word, singing hymn number 165. Ye servants of God, your Master proclaim.
Father, we thank you for the privilege and the joy and the blessing it is to us to be able to give to you now our tithes and offerings, that we might proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ out of this church into the world, into our county, to our neighbors and to others. Lord, we pray that you would use our tithes and offerings for the sake of your glory, that lost souls might hear the gospel and believe and be taken out of the kingdom of darkness and put into your glorious kingdom of light through the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. this time I'm going to pray for our fifth Sunday lunch and also invite Sam and Lizzie to go with Mike to be our guests of honor at the front of the line. Um, I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for this meal that we are about to enjoy. We thank you for the hands that labored to prepare it. Lord, I pray that this would be a wonderful time of fellowship in the name of the Lord Jesus for our church family. May Sam and Lizzie be welcomed and enjoy this time together with our church family. What a privilege it is to share a meal with them in Jesus name. Amen. Receive the benediction of our Lord. May the Lord hide you in His shelter in the day of trouble, conceal you under His the cover of His tent, and may He set you high upon a rock. Amen.